from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., this is Update One, the club's official podcast. It features newsworthy stories originating from the NPC facilities, as well as broader topics related to journalism, communications, press freedom, and transparency. I'm Adam Cano on location at the Paris Air Show, aviation's largest industry-focused event. And my guest today is Sash Tusa of Agency Partners, LLC, a London-based firm that provides independent equity research to institutional investors. Sash, welcome to Update One. Thank you very much indeed, Adam. It's very good to be here. Before we talk about the news here in Paris, let's talk about uh, a little bit about you and the firm. First, what drove your interest in business and its intersection with aerospace and defense? I started my well career uh, straight after university working for a military aircraft business in the UK. Um, that was character forming, um, and that's meant to be uh, meant to have a number of implications for it. Uh, but it made me realise I was just very, very interested specifically in the aerospace and defence industry. And I was lucky then to come through various parts of the City of London, fund management, and then um, uh, investment banking to do the job I do now. I've come not quite full circle, but I now work for a very, very small partnership. But we really, really focus on this area, and we think, and our clients seem to think, we're quite good at it. Yeah. So how big is Agency Partners, and what sort of services do you provide your clients? You could fit it in this room, frankly. Um, and so, so for the record, a very small room in a chalet, which sounds far grander than it really is. <laughs> yes. We'd like to think we're, we're experts, but we're also able to um, sort the wheat from the chaff. So we know a lot about a very, very small industry or a very specialised industry, aerospace and defence. We say if it flies, sails or blows up, we probably know who makes it, who they sell it to, how the products are going to develop, do they make any money out of it, should they make any money out of it, and most of the things in between. So we write research that, that explains a lot of that, that explains why the companies are doing what they're doing and uh, indeed whether they should do better. But if a client has a an offbeat question about intersections of our industry with uh, other parts of the world, we'll, we'll have a go at that as well. Uh, and you know, we, we have a, another saying, we go with the numbers. We do our modelling and we come up with a conclusion based on the numbers. So we try to be very dispartial about it. I'm not sure that people always believe we are, but we are. You're a prolific contributor to multiple industry podcasts and trade publications. What's the role you play when editors and reporters reach out to you? I try to explain what we think and why we think it. And frequently, what we think and why we think it is different to the uh, answers or different to the, the spin that they're getting from the corporates, from industry. In this respect, we're, we're a sort of intermediary. Uh, but we, we will have a different view quite often because uh, we have a lot of different sources of information and we've been doing this job long enough. I mean, my colleague and I, our experience um, in just in aerospace and defence is very, very high number of decades now. We've, we've got the experience that we can sometimes say, no, that's not right. And uh, I think that's what a lot of journalists and editors find useful is that we will, we'll, you know, we won't just parrot the company line. Yeah. In addition to neutral perspective, is it fair to say that reporters on occasion see you as being able to call out companies or organizations in a way that maybe they can't or won't? Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, uh, we don't depend on advertising. We therefore are not concerned, and we don't we don't get corporate business uh, of any sort, um, and therefore we're not as constrained. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not that we go out to make ad hominem attacks, we, that we go out to upset companies. But uh, 
we certainly are far uh, more able to say what we think and why we think it without worrying about any possible you know, consequences with the companies. Uh, and actually, I think that's pretty healthy for all of us. And sometimes even the companies think that as well. Massive industry event like the Paris Air Show here at Le Bourget Airport has no shortage of companies trying to generate news. What do you and other analysts look for on these occasions? It's a fantastic opportunity to meet uh, companies and, and meet people here who we would not necessarily get to see face to face in the you know the course of our uh, the rest of the year. And it's you know this. It's astonishing how much you can get from a brush by uh, meeting, two or three sentences, um, people's body language, you know, the way that they, uh, you know, the, the, their voices change when you when you ask a question. That sort of stuff is 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 gold dust to us. Um, but it's also, you know, more importantly, this is an enormous show. Um, there are just more sources of more people, more sources of information, more ideas that we can get out of a show like this than just reading, you know, scrolling through the internet for a couple of weeks. This time last year, you and I were at the Farnborough Air Show in the UK, which alternates years with, with Paris, and it seemed like much of the news concerned sort of the, the three S's of sustainability, supply chain, and security. Is that true here in 2023 as well? Um, yes, it is. Uh, uh, we're getting very mixed messages on the supply chain here this year. Um, actually, whereas last year it was just there are real problems. You know, the, the, the view at Farnborough was very clear. This year, it's much more nuanced, and it depends on which companies. Uh, Airbus uh, this morning was actually more relaxed than I've heard them in probably, well, since, since the COVID crisis started. Some of the other engine companies, much less so. Um, sustainability is an interesting one. Everybody feels they have to say something about sustainability. I do worry about whether everybody in this industry has the same commitment to sustainability and net zero. In fact, now I'll be clear, I don't think everybody does. I think a lot of people hope that there are magic wands that can be waved, either that the requirement for net zero will sort of drift off to the right, or indeed that uh, a magic product, sustainable aviation fuels, will bail them out. Um, and so I think you know, sustainability is going to be a, a very, very fluid issue for, for years to come. Security, yeah, absolutely. Defence, and let's be clear about what we mean, defence is just back at the top of the agenda. And what makes this Paris air show so fascinating is that I have not been to such a balanced show, civil news, defence news, in seven, eight, nine years, perhaps even more than that. It, it's, you know, it, and that is a, that's a real sign of how defence has come back. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that civil and defence side because this industry is often thought about as, you know, very long lead, very cyclical, and when the civil side is up, the defence side is, is down, and then when the defence side is down, civil side is up. But what we're seeing right now is, I, mean, I, I hate to use the word unprecedented, but it really is remarkable. I think it probably is unprecedented because... The last time defence was up in a way like this would have been the um, uh, late 80s, when civil was just a smaller part of the total pie. In those days, civil and defence were about 50% uh, each of the total A and D revenue split. Now it's much more two-thirds, even 70% civil and 30% defence. But that's starting to to even up again. Um, I don't think we'll ever go back to 50-50. But we're in a very, very long defence up cycle now. And we haven't seen those, as I said, since the 70s, uh, since the 80s. Companies got to make difficult decisions. What do they fund? What do they prioritise? The decision-making cycles are changing for defence in a way that I didn't think we would ever see 
countries can make decisions on defence now in months when previously it would have taken them the same number of years. That's what 15 months of war in, uh, in, in Ukraine does for you. By contrast, civil, it's, it's an incredibly long cycle. Backlogs, particularly at Airbus, are fuller than ever. I mean, it's remarkable that Airbus can't even remember what their backlog is at the moment because it keeps on going up. I think their delivery is going to be the big medium-term issue. Sustainability is the existential long-term issue. This is a very global industry, a very intertwined industry. We've seen that with the, the challenges in supply chain. So how does your perspective from London inform the guidance that you give to investors and, and, and also editors on the journalism side? We sit in a, in a capital city in a small island that's pretty detached from, certainly detached from Europe physically and sometimes rather too much politically as well and uh, is you know, a long way from, from the US or Asia. I think at least we have the ability to uh, sit back and we're not completely swamped by domestic political noise. So, for example, we probably don't spend as much time at agency partners obsessing about the US defence budgetary process as uh, some of our competitors have to in, in the US. It's just, you know, it's only one input and uh, it, it's not that, that important an input either. So, that, you know, that, that's the advantage I think we have. Aviation is increasingly attracting a, a large number of protesters. We saw uh, at a business aviation show in Geneva just a month ago, protesters, you know, break through barricades and, and chain themselves to, to business jets and things like that. Um, obviously critical of the carbon footprint that this industry has. How does that impact the business side from your perspective and even eventually in the media as well from a perceptual basis, given the importance of you know, corporate social responsibility uh, to corporate corporations and investors these days? I think this is becoming more and more important. And we've already had a dramatic swing in the whole issue of either corporate social uh, responsibility or, as it's referred to more in Europe, uh, ESG, environmental, social and uh, societal and governance. Um, let's go back two years. Two years ago, the defence companies here at the Paris Air Show, Farnborough and so forth, barely felt they could show their faces because defence was held to be, and I'm you know, saying this in inverted commas, harmful. Certainly there were investors, there were banks who would not invest in defence because it was seen to be um, uh, contrary to all their, their sort of ESG beliefs. Well, that one, um, I'm delighted to say, just died a death when the Russians invaded Ukraine. Very, very hard now to argue that defence... And you know, defence spending by, uh, to the companies that we have at this show is not pretty fundamental to you and me being able to have a conversation like this. But what do I worry about? It's the societal licence to operate for civil aerospace, for unmanned aerial, aerial mobility, uh, for example, um, and the and you know, business jets, as you mentioned, with the e-based shirt Geneva. Uh, it will get harder for civil aerospace to operate. Um, the rules are likely to get more restrictive. The constraints on emissions and uh, the nature of how uh, industry deals with those is going to get harder. This has always been and always will be a political industry. People who say it's all about capitalism are, in our view, utterly naive. Politics is always there. The politics, the long-term political issues, uh, societal issues about uh, civil uh, aerospace, aerial mobility in, in all its forms, that's, that is the story for the next 20 years. Two more questions. First is, while the National Press Club is known as the world's foremost organization for journalists, many of our members are professional communicators. So do you hear as an analyst from PR practitioners and what role do they play, especially from an investor relations or financial communications perspective? 
it's very useful to receive as many feeds as possible. We're, you know, we're gluttons for information, sometimes even data, but we, you know, that's a, that's a big ask in some respects. What we don't want too much of is spin. Uh, we can make our own minds up, but we want the information. We love access to companies and, you know, uh, access in a relatively unfettered way. The flip side of it is that as analysts, we're not here to, to break a story and to um, necessarily make companies upset or indeed to, you know, to put individuals' jobs on the line because we've said something against them. We're interested in uh, getting the access, the data, the feeds we need to, to come up with some much bigger long-term conclusions. And in that respect, that's how PR professionals can really help us. You've been in the aerospace and defense industry a long time. You served in the armed forces. What evolution have you seen from a communications perspective within aerospace and defense in terms of what we now read and hear versus, say, earlier in your career? Decision-making cycles have uh, speeded up massively. New cycles have speeded up massively. There is always a concern uh, by corporates and by their advisors that they've got to be, you know, on top of, ahead of the um, the cycle. And uh, that sometimes leads to stuff coming out of companies that is frankly overpackaged and um, is quite rigid in terms of the, um, the, the message that's trying to come out. Now, I am fortunate to work in a partnership where we do the equivalent of long, long form writing. Uh, we've got time to sit back and actually think and to, and to synthesize. We're not interested in the headlines. We're really interested in the supporting story. And, whether, and then we can make a decision about whether it stands up or not. But the speed of the news cycle uh, and the degree to which, you know, I mean, just Twitter has changed the way, the number of different ways that companies can uh, try to get their message o- across. That's been an enormous change, even in the last 10 years, let alone 30 years ago. Sash, thanks so much for your time. Adam, a pleasure. Thank you. Sash Tusa is a partner at Agency Partners. You can hear him at the beginning of each week on the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast, as well as read his analysis periodically in Aviation Week and Space Technology Magazine and elsewhere. For Update One in Paris, I'm Adam Cano. You have been listening to Update One, the official podcast of the National Press Club, the world's leading professional organization for journalists, and a vigorous advocate of press freedom worldwide. If you have any questions or comments about Update One, send an email to updateonepodcast at gmail.com.